Welcome to the Ohio Ministry Network podcast. The following audio was recorded at the 2014 Forum. For more information, please visit ohioministry.net. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Steve Hoffman, and uh, I am an Ohio missionary living in India. So my family and I are back on furlough, but we've been over there for about uh, almost four years now. And uh, we're going to be heading back by the end of this year, so we're excited to get back there in India. And uh, the topic of, of this group is the unfinished task, reaching the unreached. And you'll see Craig's name on there because actually he came up with this PowerPoint. So I've gone through it and added and changed, but I definitely want to give him some credit for the work that he's done and what he's put together. Um, but uh, right as we kind of start, I just want to go through some scriptures. I think these are very familiar with everybody. Uh, the Lord's really commanded us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Um, and so I think that's a great foundation as we're really taking a look at the unreached and, and the call that is there. And, and I just love this scripture. If we, really, um, if we really go forth and we make disciples, then the results that we can see is God's glory and kingdom filling uh, the earth with worship from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. And I think as we really think about the unreached and really getting a passion um, in Revelation, as we see this every nation, um, this has really been um, a burden on church planners and even mission organizations as they look forward to um, going into all the world um, and really reaching those with the gospel. Um, just so that you can have some information, if you have any questions or you want to contact us, um, there's my email right there. Um, we're going to be living in Gurgaon, uh, which is right outside of New Delhi in North India. Um, so there's about 25 million people that live in this area. And India is now part of Live Dead. So we'll talk about that a little later. But India is now considered a part of the Live Dead movement. So our team specifically um, is also um, called Live Dead uh, India. And as we go through this, um, you can kind of think about what maybe the questions that you have, and we're going to have a time where we can answer those questions. But, I mean, what do you really want answered? Um, this is not an uncommon topic. Um, I think it's been around for a while, unreached people groups. But maybe there's something on your heart, and be thinking about that. Write that down, and hopefully that we can bring some answers to maybe the questions that you have. But in the time that we have, um, we're going to be talking about kind of these areas, the unfinished task, what's left to be done, what are unreached people groups, where are they, and why haven't they been reached, and what can we do uh, differently. Um, As we take a look at what's left to be done, um, just to kind of give you some numbers and statistics, there's almost 7,000 people groups that remain. They're unreached in the world today. Um, that's 38% of the world's population, 7 billion people. Most of them make up Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists. That's the primary religion. 2.8 billion people, so that 38% have never heard. They've never even been given a gospel presentation once in their life. And what really amazes me is 87% of missionaries work in nominally Christian areas. Um, So most of our missionaries are already working where there is a a Christian presence. Very little are actually working in in unreached areas. In fact, they even say if you look at money and the money that's given um, to the work um, going on of reaching unreached people groups, out of every dollar that's given, less than a penny 
less than a penny actually goes towards reaching the unreached. So there is quite a bit of work to be done. As we take a look at the nation of India, uh, there's over 2,000 people groups in India that are unreached. India has the largest unreached people groups than any other country in the world. Uh, when I live and serve in this country, it absolutely amazes me uh, that you actually meet people, and there's no Judeo-Christian foundation in this country. You know, in America, you have a church on every corner. In India, there's literally an idol on every corner. And what really amazes me is that there are people that have never heard. Uh, we were living in India, and uh, uh, we were having traveled through this city called Mumbai quite a bit, and they have this hotel called the Westin Hotel. Y'all have stayed at the Westin here in America. And I, I, I absolutely love that place because you can get the hard bagels and the Philadelphia cream cheese. So, you know, as we're, as we're stopping through, I like to stay there. And, um, you know, as a missionary, we travel a lot, so we get all those statuses. You know, if you've ever seen Up in the Air with George Clooney and they throw out all those cards, uh, we get those because we travel all the time. And we stayed on the executive club lounge floor, um, executive club floor, and uh, there was this young man there named Sanjay who um, worked um, um, on the executive club lounge. And, and I remember, man, this tall, skinny, quiet kid, just something was different about him, and I really wanted to get to know him. And so, um, you know, we started um, just talking, and then we became friends on Facebook, and, um, and we left that hotel, but we were coming back just a couple months later. And I remember that as we uh, were coming back, I saw that it was his birthday on Facebook. So I went out and I bought the Narnia collection DVDs and we call them VCDs in India. I wrapped it up and I gave it to him like, hey, happy birthday, buddy. And he was so taken aback by that, that someone, even a white guy, would just uh, recognize his birthday. And so we traded phone numbers and started messaging. And really, I started being able to get to know this guy. And um, it was months later that we all were coming through this um, city again and flying in and out of the country and we actually had a couple of free days and so I said hey Sanjay would you be willing to take a day off and just hang out with our family Um, because you know we just love to go see around the city and uh, really get to know you more and so in India they work six days a week 15 hours a day for like $200 a month and that's a good job you know so it's a big deal to take a day off but he took a day off and and he hung out with with our family and we went around and I remember at night Christy and the kids went up to the hotel and they went to bed but um we went to a coffee shop, and I carry around canasta cards with me, and I teach people how to play cards. And as we were sitting there playing canasta, um, Sanjay wears many Hindus wear a bracelet. He wore a bracelet, and I just want to engage him spiritually. And I'm like, you know, Sanjay, why do you, you know, why do you wear that? He was explaining, and he was explaining his beliefs, and he's like, well, I mean, what do you believe? And I said, well, you know that I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and he says. I mean, okay. He really didn't know, but he kind of knew because we prayed for our food and whatnot that day. Um, and I said, well, I mean, have you like, heard the name of Jesus? And he said, yeah, I've heard the name of Jesus. I said, have you heard anything about Jesus? But he just shook his head and he said, no. He's one of those that are absolutely unreached. They've never ever heard a gospel presentation before it was actually amazing it was like the holy spirit was there i mean it was like there was just like a cloud of god's presence that was just over us in that moment and god had just given me the opportunity and the right of way to be able to speak truth into sanjay's life and to be able to share the gospel with him and and with no judeo-christian background whatsoever the holy spirit just used the truth and really penetrated this young man's heart literally tears were flowing down his 
face and uh, as, as he was hearing for the first time Jesus. And, and the reality is there's so many people like Sanjay in India that still have absolutely never heard. And not just in India, but even across the nations. Uh, what is an unreached people group? Well, the definition is there's no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize their own people. Um, and so basically there's 2 to 5% um, or less of believers or Christians uh, within, within a group of people. And where are they? Um, most of the unreached people groups are actually in that 1040 window. And that's why you hear that word, 1040 window. It stretches from West Africa all the way to South Asia. And, and what you'll see in this 1040 window are the majority of unreached people groups in the world. Um, it's really interesting. Um, India has over 2,000 unreached people groups. China has 400. Um, Pakistan has 400. And it goes on from there. Um, but the majority, and that's why we, we focus on the 1040, and you hear so much about it because this is where the majority um, live. Um, many people ask, why haven't they been reached? I mean, why in this day of incredible media and technology and, and research, why, why haven't they? Well, um, resident visas are very hard to get. Um, a lot of these countries are, are considered, you know, closed countries. They're, they're tougher countries to be able to go and live and move in. Um, in India, our first term there, we spent around $35,000 on just visa issues. And in fact, when we first got to India, the visa laws were changed two days before we actually left to go in the country. No one even knew about it. When we get into India, immigration pulls us aside. They stamp our our, our passport and they said do you do you know what this says and understand it and you just shake your head like yes okay and I had no idea what they were talking about but all of a sudden what we found out was we can only stay there for six months and then within six months we had to leave for two months and they wouldn't allow us to come back into the country again until we stayed out for at least two months and that was kind of the laws that were changed and that was being able to be there on a tourist visa we had a 10-year tourist visa that's what everybody in our group was doing at the time and what that made us do is we had to then change over our tourist visas to business visas so that we didn't have that two-month gap because how could you live out of India for, I mean, what would that, uh, what would the implications be upon your family? And it was really a difficult time. Um, without having any kind of established relationships in India, we had to figure out a way to be able to get this business visa and change everything over and had to come back to the U.S. and had to go over to Thailand and get the family's visas changed. And um, it, it was really um, a lot of work. But even with having a business visa, you can only stay in the country 180 days, then you have to at least leave for a day, and then you can come back in. So for our unit, that's five people having to leave every six months for at least a day, international travel, and you can see the, the costs are there. In other places like Russia, I believe some of our missionaries can only stay for three months, um, and, and, they're, and they're forced to, to go, and then they can come back again. And so, um, you know, visas are, are pretty difficult to get. A lot of people say, you know, is your wife full on board with what's going on in India and your ministry? And, um, you know, she just completed her master's in education. And, and she recognized that, you know what, I could teach. I have a gifting to teach and I could teach. And if I get a job in an international school, then they would give me an employment visa, which would give us a residency papers and we wouldn't have to leave at all. 
We wouldn't have to do that six months at all. And I know that I'll be in where there are influencers and I can reach people through the gospel, but also logistically, this could help us. Also, international schools provide housing. They pay for your plane tickets back and forth. We could save an incredible amount of money. That's more churches that can be planted um, if I just work diligently and I get this degree. And so, so she's worked very hard and she's just about done with her master's. And as we go back, um, she wants to look find a job in the international schools. And so it's a great way um, to be able to get into some of these countries. And it frees me up um, so that there's other things that I can do that are not attached to the school um, to be able to reach people with the gospel. In many of these countries in the 1040 window, the culture is hostile to Jesus. Um, I remember our first term, uh, we did crusade meetings. Um, we had more of a very much public ministry. Um, and it's not, it's not you know, very popular to preach Jesus. And uh, there were times when I was followed around by plainclothes police officers. They were actually going around and, and, and interviewing people about us. And there were nights that we just had that sick feeling in our stomach. And we thought that we, immigration would come to our door and would kick us out. Now, on our last term, we thought, well, if you, you know, if you get caught preaching the gospel or converting people, as they call it, you'll be kicked out. But we've recently found out in David Grant's situation that they're now arresting um, and they're now trying in their courts. And there's a possibility that you can now face even prison time. In fact, Wednesday, I'm flying out to Idaho to go through security training in case you get kidnapped or you get arrested. You know exactly what to say and what to do um, because these environments are, are hostile. Governments are hostile. Um, Few have tried, few have tried to, to share Christ. Um, like we said earlier, uh, the majority of our missionaries are already working in places where the church is established. So um, in India, it's actually interesting, but um, uh, we have like 8,000 missionaries to all those people uh, in India compared to like South America that has 100,000 missionaries. So South America gets 25 times more missionaries than actually India, yet India has the most unreached people groups in all the world. So <laughs> we don't really have a push um, uh, of workers, of Christian workers that are willing to go and to share Christ. Physical conditions are quite difficult. Um, you know, you, you get sick living in some of these countries. It's third world, and I know I've been there quite a number of times where it's coming out both ends simultaneously, and you think you're going to die, you know, um, and you can't wait for that medicine to kick in. Uh, there are days that we didn't have power. Um, we've gone, you know, a week or two and absolutely no power. And, uh, you know, you're taking showers and maggot worms are coming through your ceiling. And just, I mean, it goes on and on and on. You know, you buy your meat. There's no such thing as like ground beef. You know, you go down to the Muslims and your beef is hanging from the stall and flies are all around it. And you just go and they cut you a piece and you bring it back and you have these hand grinders and you grind it. And sometimes you got to pick the bones out, you know, of whatever you make, you know. So it's definitely not like America. Um, and so because of the difficulties, and you have some remote villages that are even very difficult just to get to. Um, and so, you know, these conditions do make it difficult. And, and, and you know, I think people haven't been reached because um, missionary methods um, are seen as, as really a foreign thing. Um, you know, when we go into a culture, it's really important that we integrate within in that culture. Uh, in, in India, missionaries, we don't use the word missionary. Some of my friends ask me, what do you do? I'd rather say I'm a Christian worker than actually a missionary if 
we're even truthful and honest. A lot of times we're just business people. Um, but if you use the word missionary in India, um, they believe that those are people um, that, that, that come in and, um, and they basically provide a bunch of money and they pay the poor um, to convert to their religion. And so um, they're given a very bad idea what that is. And it's just this white man's thing and it's all the white man coming in. It's just a Western thing. It's, it's not really for us. And so there's a very bad connotation that really comes um, with that word. But the reality is, is, you know, we're all called to be missionaries, right? We're all called to share the gospel. For some of us, though, we're actually going to go into cultures and we're going to learn that culture. Uh, we're going to live in that culture and build relationships with these people um, and share the gospel with them. What can we do um, differently than what we're doing? Um, and we see this word here, call. Um, we have what we call uh, church planning movement. Um, uh, basically, we go into places and, and we plant the church where there is no church. Um, what I love, what we're doing in India with our project, um, we're doing a twofold. We're actually starting a coffee company. And when we say a coffee company, we're not just talking about like a cafe shop. We are opening up um, boutique cafes uh, to reach the influencers, but we're also going to be opening up coffee nurseries and growing the coffee plants. And we're going to be having live dead teams who learn the language and go to unreached villages and teach these villagers how to raise up the coffee plant. And through that, um, they're going to be able to build relationships with these villagers and plant the church where there is no church. And then we kind of have the Chick-fil-A model with our coffee shops where we're closed on Sunday and so that Monday through Saturday we can be building relationships with these urban young professionals and then on Sunday we can invite them to come back get a free cup of coffee um, and hear a message of hope and then plant um, the church where there really is none amongst these young people and so there's a huge um, church planning push to look for ways to be able to build relationship and target a certain group of people and then to bring the church where there is no church um, you see the apostolic effort in, in residence, um, work in local heart language, um, commit to long-term engage, engagement. I think it's so important to really know the language of the people that you're ministering to. Um, for two and a half years, I learned the Tamil language, and I'm still not even fully fluent in it. It's an incredibly hard language, but still, every day I had a tutor. When I was in town, I really made it an effort. And when you go around and you speak with people, you just try a little bit of what you have, and it's amazing how their hearts just are, are so bonded with yours because you care enough to try to learn their language. When we go back to India, we're moving to North India, uh, we're going to be six months in Hindi training before we even start our project we're devoting ourselves full-time we want to get fluent Hindi will be a lot easier than Tamil and and it's our heart's desire that we can fluently speak um, this language but we know even though English is one of the national languages in India you can get by just fine if we make an effort to really learn um, the primary language language that really everyone speaks um, then that will open up doors in a way and and you know in India there's a lot of things that are bad but there's a lot of things that are good and we want to pick up those things that are good and we want to, um, and we want to learn them and we want to practice them because that opens up the door to relationship and connection. Um, and before we know it, we're going to have opportunities to be able to share truth with the people that are there. Um, and I'll never forget, um, I had an opportunity to sit down with Pastor Mohan. Pastor Mohan is the general superintendent of, of India. And before we were going over there, uh, he was coming in to preach at our home church. And our pastor said, hey, go pick Brother Mohan up at the airport. I want you to go take him out to dinner. And we were sitting there at dinner, Pastor Mohan 
someone's like, you know what, I'm so happy that you're coming to India, uh, but I want to tell you this, uh, two things. One, if you come to India, you have to come for the long term. Don't be one of these people that come and go. Come to India for the long term. And then secondly, India is full of young people. So uh, whatever God leads you to do, whatever you may be doing, we have to reach the young people of India. And so I want you to pray about that. But I'll never forget that. Come for the long term. You know, short-term trips are great. Coming in and out are great. I believe there is fruit in that. But I think we'll get long-term fruit and impact when we're really willing to commit our lives and be in one place. Um, Sometimes we don't always see it. Sometimes it takes years. And we have many missionary stories where it's taken eight years of just loving on people, not even really getting someone to say the prayer, you know. But the more and more I live in these countries, the more and more I realize it's not about getting people to say the prayer because we don't convert anybody. All we do is plant seeds and water them and God causes them to grow. And our responsibility is basically to plant the seeds and to water them. And it takes time, uh, but if we're willing to commit our lives in our time, um, then results will come because our God is faithful. He is the same yesterday and forever. And I don't want to preach, but, um, but there, there's such truth in, in being able to be somewhere long-term and engage. Um, trends in the Great Commission, we're going to take a look at them now. Um, we're going to look at triage prioritizing, Southern Hemisphere, strategic partnerships, and lay people and teams. Um, before we move on, were there any questions that anybody might have? Yes. You mentioned the live dead. Live, live dead. Yep. Could you tell me what that is? Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Um, we'll talk about that more in this next. But yeah, live dead basically is. I would say more. It's more of a movement. Um, some people want to call it. It's a nice branding because we have great logos and whatnot. But it's really a movement, and it's a church planning movement, and it's basically saying that we're going to commit to working on teams to be able to plant the church amongst unengaged, unreached people. Um, and for instance, in India, we're actually creating international teams. We're going to be even having Russians that are joining our team. We have other people moving in from America, um, and we're coming together. And, and our heart's desire is to see those reach numbers come down, um, and so we're going to strategically um, 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 target an unreached people group, build relationships with them, and plant the church. And so it's, an, it's a lifestyle um, of understanding that there's going to be hardships, but we're going to live with joy in the hardships, that there's going to be conflicts because you're going really to some of the darkest places the enemy does not want penetrated, but we're going to go into those places uh, because that's what we're called to do, um, and, and we just don't want to stay where, where already there is a foundation, but we want to actually pioneer and, and move forward in, in this kind of pioneering movement and going where no foundation has been laid. It, it, it actually came out of AGWM, but I think you're going to see Live Dead probably even move bigger than that in, in, in the years to come. Um, I think it's really, our Live Dead movement, I think it's going to be, um, as we're prioritizing unreached people groups and as we realize that it's going to be everyone, uh, the focus, I think, is going to move. And, okay, how do we really reach them? And in order to really facilitate people being raised up from the U.S., I think this model is probably one of the most effective models. It also really is a basis that works on teams um, and in teams. And I think that we're moving in a place where we do need to be a part of teams. God's call us to be a part of teams. And it's not just an individual going out um, with their own program. So, so I, I I think that it's a movement within a movement, so to speak. Uh, but as time moves on, um, Live Dead 
really come to the forefront of what God's doing. Not that AGM will cease to exist, but um, I think you'll see a lot of church planning teams come out and a lot of these unreached um, places touched uh, through what's going on with Live Dead. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, our first term, we started a technology company, um, and it actually went really, really well. Um, it wasn't even something we used mission dollars for. I, we just had, we, my wife and I personally had trouble lying to people and saying we're here on a business visa and we're not doing anything in business. And then God was really stirring our hearts to kind of move away from the old school crusades um, and, and church meetings and to really find um, unique ways to get into the marketplace because we were really feeling burdened to reach the call center generation. And so we recognized, well, we have to go to where they're at and it's all really going to be done by relationships. And so what better way to get into the marketplace than to start a business? Because we were thought maybe leadership and training and, you know, you can go into the corporates doing that. Um, and it, God just really opened up the doors. Um, I met some tech entrepreneurs and, uh, and we got some outside funding. And uh, in 2012, Grabby Tech was recognized as one of the top 30 tech startups in India. And God had really used that. I mean, we were building, we have working relationships with Intel India, HCL India, Nokia India, um, and really used that. And I really got out of that the, the power of networking and relationships. When you go to where people are at, um, it's really incredible how you can build those relationships. Um, and we got to a point where um, Grabby Tech is not missions-based and money wasn't going into missions. And um, we really felt called that we're called to be missionaries. And although we have to do business, maybe that's not for us because at one point we thought, well, it's going so well, maybe we should go over that full time. <laughs> but fasting and prayer, God's like, no, this is what I called you to do. So as we kind of start saying, all right, we've got to come back for furlough. Let's step back a little bit. Um, we started really praying and saying, well, God, how can we still penetrate um, build relationships, but let's do this missional ground up. And we've seen models work in other places, Vietnam, Yemen, and other places, Greek, uh, Greece, um, where this coffee shop is very effective for being able to build relationships. And coffee is really popular in India. Um, so we thought, well, what if we do something like this? And we actually have a three-prong approach because uh, the three-prong approach is this, the, um, the boutique coffee shops, um, the coffee nurseries, but we also are going to be um, raising up trainers, baristas. We also want to go into the coffee industry in India, and, and we, we not necessarily want to dominate, but we want to impact for the kingdom. And so, in fact, I'm heading out to Palm Springs, California, lucky me, and I'm getting my uh, certification in uh, being a barista through the SCAA um, in just a couple weeks, um, and going through all that training, SCAA, especially the Coffee Association of America, um, because we want to be the best, and we just, even in the coffee industry in India, um, as Christ ambassadors, we don't want to juxtaposition our faith and in, in, in what's going on, but, but we want to um, um, set a high level and so be able to train people through that. Um, and so we just see this as a model um, to be able to plant the church in a unique way of raising up everyone to be a missionary. And so these young people hear the gospel, they realize, well, I'm a missionary too, and I can go out no matter what I do, and I can reach people for Jesus. And so we can build those relationships, um, disciple them, and have this whole working model that really displays it before them because so often and you probably see this in your churches people juxtaposition their faith and their job and when it really should be integrated right so any other questions and we'll move on okay um you have this triage prioritizing that's going on right now um 
I think basically people are really coming full circle, very large organizations, IMB International Mission Board, Frontiers, World Horizons. Um, right now they're really targeting and saying, man, we have to reach the 1040 window, and it's really awesome to see. Um, I loved in India, some of our best friends were part of the IMB in India, and it was so awesome because in America, um, you don't always get to work with your Southern Baptist brothers and sisters, but in India we did. In the city where we lived in, in Chennai, um, they actually sent units over to plant the church amongst unreached Muslim communities that were there living in Chennai. In South India, where we say there's all these churches, there's still unreached people groups. And so they had no personnel where we lived. And so guess who did the training and guess who helped them get acquainted? It was us, you know. And in fact, one of our good friends was sick with dengue fever in the hospital and we're there at the bedside, you know. And, and um, whenever they're, um, you know, some of the, their, we have missionary associates, they call it a little bit different. Um, but when they're MAs, essentially, um, came in we were hosting them at our house and uh and so um there's incredible partnership that we were able to form um you know in india but but it's so awesome to see um mission organizations besides just the assemblies of god that are saying yeah it is everyone every tribe <laughs> every tongue we need to go and we need to reach the unreached and so um these young families are coming over and they are planning of course with agwm and with live dead that we talked about um we're seeing a move really rise up that's saying we have to reach the unreached. I love Greg Mundus and his vision. I mean, he's really calling AGWM to really focus and hone in and say, hey, look, um, this is the statistics. This is the truth. And now we need to prioritize and we need to move missionaries and funding um, uh, to reach the unreached. In India, everyone that comes is going to be on a lived yet team. We're not really putting people to kind of do their own thing as what's been in the past. Um, uh, We're going to we're going to see those numbers come down in India to really reach um, the unreached. Districts and, and networks um, are prioritizing this. The Ohio Network, I mean, look at what's going on with the Euphrates Project right now. I mean, if you are a church and you have not given and been a part of what's going on there in Turkey, please make sure you get your pledges in. I am not getting paid to do this, believe me. Uh, but, but, but I, I mean, this network is really seeing that we can, um, we need to reach the unreached. And I love the fact that the leadership is saying, okay, now what projects are going on that we can be a involved with as a district or a network and, and, and we're going we're gonna to financially sow and be a part and um, it's just really incredible uh, what's going on with the shorts there in, in Turkey and, um, and so as the networks really see this priority um, we can really reach the unreached. Um, I, I think our churches are making this a priority too. Um, I love the church that, that I came out of. Um, they actually, the way that they gave support is by what region of the world you actually are in. And if you were in the 1040 window, if you are reaching unreached, then there was a higher level of support that came there because they understood this is a priority and we need to get missionaries in these places and we want them to be well-funded. So that's the last thing they need to think about um, is their budget. And so I think as churches um, really... Um, prioritize even through how they give and the missionaries they support um, we can really you know make a dent I know for years we've been supporting a lot of works that have been going on in, in South America and in in the Ohio network even and and I think it's great and I and I think God's doing incredible things but what I love is uh, over in India we actually had pioneer missionaries from the El Salvadorian church come over to India and they're sending missionaries now now if they're sending missionaries um, do do we necessarily need to prioritize 
necessarily what's going on in, in South America, or should we be focusing on um, people who have never even heard before? And so as we, as we prioritize as churches, um, we, can, we can see those numbers come down. Um, and this is Craig's uh, little thing right there. I've spoken enough about India. I think you've heard what's going on in India, but even in Africa, um, there's an incredible push and prioritization um, in, in Eurasia and what we're a part. You have Live Dead Cairo that's going on right now in the Middle East, Live Dead India. Um, there's really a priority. I think in Russia, um, there's really a priority to go and to, and to reach the unreached all across um, our region. Uh, Omar Bayler has what's called the Big Dream. Um, in India, we have what's called the little dream, but essentially um, we want to really be able to be creative, build capacity, and to really um, go out and to target these unreached people groups and, and win them for Jesus. Um, the Southern Hemisphere, since 2011, 72% of the world's Christians live in the southern half of the world. Again, prioritizing, um, we really want to look at where the unreached are and go to them. Um, strategic partnerships, um, we have sending churches at home, um, national churches overseas, uh, missionaries on the ground, parachurch groups, um, and even individuals. Uh, and these are all partnerships that, that, that we can um, really build in order to reach um, the unreached. I, I've shared already so much of what's been going on, so I hope that you really get that, the vision of it. But it is incredible, the cooperation that is going on even worldwide right now. I just love the heart of God and how it is crying out that all can hear. And it is amazing how um, churches from different countries are, are working together, um, just from Korea to uh, even Russia to uh, El Salvador, and just what we've, who we've been able to connect with um, and work with in India so that we can reach the unreached. Um, lay people, um, they really make a big difference. Um, it's incredible what's going on with Chi Alpha, different volunteers that are coming with MAs. Um, uh, Chi Alpha is really incredible. Uh, the World Missions Conference, and I've been to uh, two of them now, um, has been really impactful, showing college students how they can really make a difference. Um, and and we're, when we go to these um, conferences and we connect with these young people, we, we really um, um, give them the vision and challenge them to give a year and pray about a lifetime. And, you know, uh, I don't even have a college degree, and if God can use a guy like me, then what could he do with many of these young people who do have a college degree and who have a specified skill in an area? Um, what really uh, has amazed me is just the different opportunities that, that God really gives us. Um, one of my good friends, uh, his family owns a $400 million pharmaceutical company in India and even here in New Jersey. Um, they're they're, they're a, a, a very well-known family in this country and um, literally just the other day I got a phone call from him and he's like uh, hey what's going on I said uh, you know not much just preparing to head back to India and he's like all right you're still going I said yeah and you're doing the coffee business I said yep and he goes well I you know I just want to talk to you for a minute he goes I've been really looking at organic juice in India and I realized there's quite a market for organic juice and I'm like well what are you talking about like Ottawa or Naked or what he goes yeah something similar to that but I think we can uh, build distribution centers and have a whole online application and people can come online order their juice and you know in India we can deliver it 
it in just a couple hours because it's inexpensive enough to do that. And I think we'll do that maybe set at some juice shops and various uh, BPOs that are there. And uh, But I've talked to some scientists, and we've already looked at what we could develop, and uh, I'm ready to go ahead and put all the seed funding for this. And uh, and I just want to call because, you know, I, I trust you, and I see the capacity in you, and uh, I'm just wondering if you'd be willing to head this up. And, uh, you know, even if you just want to do this coffee thing and you don't want to head this up, um, you know, maybe you'd at least consider being on my board because I really like you to be a part of what we're doing. And uh, you don't have to put any pennies in. I got it covered. I'll give you some management equity. Uh, it's amazing what God does. And can you believe if, if we have these Chi Alpha kids who say, you know, okay, here, God, here's my life, and this is my specialized skill and training, and they come over and they build these kind of relationships and the opportunities that open, how they can really be of influence and to reach this family, our Jain Hindus, very strict Hindus, and we have been able to share the gospel with them on more than one occasion and to bring truth. And we're just believing God that this family and even this company, because they're making even their pharmaceutical company a $1 billion company in the years to come. That's their vision. Imagine, imagine um, if they come to Christ, what we can see and what can happen. And so um, there, it's such a great opportunity um, with Chi Alpha and our MAs on our team for the coffee shop, we have uh, several MAs that um, are coming over and they're given a couple years. And so um, there's uh, incredible opportunity for them. Heidi Baker in Independence in Africa, it's been incredible um, wh- what many in our independent charismatic churches are doing. They're just getting up and they're going and they're going over to Mozambique and other places and just serving the Lord. You have YWAM and Christ for the Nations and then, of course, the Live Dead Initiative as well. Um, teams. And uh, we kind of talked about this already, but uh, this is, I think, really the priority that we have working on a team. And if you really want more information on Live Dead, just because of time, we, we can't go all through it. You'll see the website up there. I, I encourage you to go there um, and to check out um, Live Dead and really familiarize yourself with that because you're going to be hearing, I think, a lot more about Live Dead um, in your churches. And uh, and if you do have Live Dead people, you don't get tired of them. Uh, if they all come on with Live Dead, with Live Dead Live Dead, understand that, that they're committed uh, to be a part of a team to target unreached peoples and to plant the church where there is no church. And, and being that so little of our resources and so little of our personnel really go to these places, it's really important that we get behind them and support them. So how do we plug in? We'll wrap this up. Um, you can go to joshuaproject.net. And you can find lots of information there. I love Joshua Project. A lot of the facts and statistics um, came from there. Um, Joshua Project tells just this about India. And I, and I just will read this to you. Just hope you really get India in your heart after this. But they say 33% of the world's 7,150 remaining unreached people groups live in India. They say 95% of India's population lives in unreached people groups. Uh, in India subcontinent, uh, India, Pakistan, Nepal, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, there's 1.55 billion people living in unreached people groups. Um, India's population of 1.3 billion people is more than North and South America combined, 900 million people, and more than Africa and the Middle 
East combined of 1.26 billion people. India holds one-fifth of the entire world's population and 40% of the world's poorest people. And eight Indian states have more impoverished people than 26 of Africa's poorest countries combined, totally more than 410 million people. And honestly, you can go and you can get incredible resources from Joshua Project that will really help engage your people. I also think this is a great list to get, but they have 50 of the largest unreached people groups. And uh, Dick Brogdon so challenges at AG100, and he said, you know, as assemblies of God, pastors and lay people and even missionaries, um, we should not just be giving to missions, but we also should be praying for an unreached people group every day. And if you're not praying for an unreached people group, ultimately we can give all the money in the world, but if we're not really interceding and we're not praying, and then we can really lack the power that it really takes to see that growth. We plant the seeds and water them, but God grows them. And I believe as we really pray, we can see that growth. And so I'd encourage you to get this, to see this list. Say, Holy Spirit, who should I pray for? And begin praying for Unreached People Group. Um, there's other resources that you'll see that's up there. And you can write them down. Um, and there will be a, a great blessing to just familiarize yourself with what's going on around the world and get the information specifically for these different places um, that, that so need a testimony of God. So I guess in a couple minutes, um, I think it would be good that we have left. I'll open up to questions, and then maybe we can just talk amongst ourselves and bring some ideas of uh, um, some of these questions that are here. But before we go on to discussion groups, anybody have any questions that I can um, answer? And when you have missionaries that come and meet you and, uh, and you talk to them and you're really getting this vision, I think, that's coming in our organization and coming down, you know, I, I think it's fair to ask them wherever they're going, you know, what is your heart towards the unreached? Who are, who, who are you praying for? You know, who, who are you broken for? Who are you believing in? 
What's going to be your strategy? Are you going alone? Are you working in teams? How are you going to be able to go in? And then, you know, hey, look, I was in Randy Valamont's office like six months ago, and I'll never forget that man's like, uh, so how long are you going to be in missions for? You know, he just asked me point blank. <laughs> and I said, well, uh, you know, I mean, we don't have a 10-year plan, but we're here until God calls us to do something else, but we're looking at the long haul. But he really wanted to see that we we're going to be long haul before he would put us in front of his people and say, hey, we're going to be a part of what you're doing. And I think it's very fair for you to ask and uh, there are so many people and there's so many opportunities and obviously there's only so many resources and so um, and you know you have to be really wise in how you appropriate those resources and so I think you know these are, are really great questions to ask when you do meet with the missionaries one-on-one and get an idea of where they are and and some you know might not know they are pretty new and maybe the spirit of God will lead you to really be a part of what they're doing and pray for them and that's really good uh, but hopefully you'll see that focus because there's a lot more education that's going out now and a lot more training. And, and we really, really realize that, you know, we have a limited time and we have limited resources and, and we need to have that laser-like focus uh, as we go in. And, and you never know what God's going to do. Look, we've just, we've seen that in our own lives, in our own ministry. Um, this is a nation uh, we're in of 1.2 billion, almost 1.3 billion people. And, and we, we had no idea the influence that God would give us so fast, so quickly in the relationships that we would be able to develop. And as we're just walking forward, we, we really are believing God for incredible things to, to really bring the gospel and reach those never heard before. Uh, I, I love this story. I, I built friendships with another um, young man named, named Akshay. And, uh, and I remember that Akshay and I, we were friends. We hung out and, uh, and it was like a year and I never shared Christ with him before. And I, I remember going to prayer and I was like, God, you know, I haven't had the opportunity yet to share, share the gospel with Akshay, but, uh, but he, he really needs to hear, Lord. He really needs to know. He comes from a new background. And the Holy Spirit's like, well, when have you really prayed for him? And I said, oh, not really, but, you know, just me and friends. He's like, why don't you just start really praying for him? So I just started praying for him every day. I really started praying for him. It was months later that I get a call from Akshay one day and he's like, hey, do you uh, have a few moments? And I said, yeah, of course I got a few moments. And uh, just to give you a background about Akshay, his grandfather owns a multi-million dollar resort in Goa. Goa is a premier destination for internationals to be able to come and visit the beach in India. And they owned a huge resort there. And his dad had run off with a Russian woman that came some years back. And uh, in India, you can talk about money. In fact, I was riding around the lake one time. A kid comes right next to me and goes, how much do you make every month? That was his first question to me. You know, <laughs> I was like, okay, it's accepted uh, to talk about that, you know. Uh, but the one thing you don't talk about is your family. You don't talk about your family. It's personal business. It's just out of bounds. And so he gets on the phone. And he's like, you know what? I just, I don't know. I've just been feeling so down lately. And I just, I just wish my dad was here. I just wish he was involved in my life. And, uh, and you know, as he was just sharing and as he was just talking, I, I just sensed the Holy Spirit saying, this is your opportunity. And so I just was like, well, hey, can I talk to you about my father, Akshay? Um, but not the father that you think I'm going to talk about, my heavenly father. And so I was literally able to just talk to him about what God has meant to me as a father and what that relationship has been like through Jesus. And I was able to share the gospel with Akshay for the first time in my life. He was broken over the phone. And at the end of that conversation, he was like, you know what, Steve, you're not just a friend. You're, you're a brother to me. 
And that day on started his journey of faith, of really learning who Jesus and who God um, is. And it wasn't about a month before we were coming back to America that my friends were like, you need to open up the newspaper right now. I opened up the newspaper. And um, as I opened it up, I saw this old man was killed by his two sons. And that was Akshay's grandfather was murdered by his dad and his uncle. And they were put in prison and everything was turned over to Akshay. And Akshay is now running a multi-million dollar business. But you know what? He's not doing it alone. He's not doing it alone. He is a father that loves and cares about him and is with him. And I just talked to him not too long ago. I keep up with a lot of people via FaceTime and Skype. Um, but but we, just, we just never, you just never know. And it's amazing how through those relationships, the Holy Spirit could use us to really do something so powerful if we're just willing to go and to pray to love on people. Say, hey, 
opportunities at our doorstep. The opportunity is beyond us as we disciple these young Saudis who have come to study in Berlin or Kiev. And so I just I think it's really important that the dead servant leadership team plant seeds like that too. Yes. Because in every room you're in, wheels are either turning with you or they're backing up. Yes. Because they don't see where they can fit. And it's clearly from the Lord. This has been 25 years in the making. I mean, 25 years ago, you couldn't talk about these people groups or 1040 window at an AG meeting, right? That's just started actually. 24 years ago, we were the first gathering in Regent University. My wife, the first one, or 25 years ago, when the whole Amish people started. So that's a, that's a brand new thing. In 1992? In, in, in missiology, it's a brand new thing, not just AG. In 1992? The, the first meeting. I was there. Okay. And we didn't know each other. <laughs> so it's just really exciting to see new leaders emerging who this is your understanding, your heartbeat went for so long. You, you just couldn't, it was just like, it was like, I don't know, try to push a, a huge cement wall that wouldn't move because we were so vested, mm-hmm. right? It, it didn't used to be 87%. It used to be 98% of our resources mm-hmm. were in already nominal or, or Christian. It's still actually pretty close. Ni- 99% of our resources actually do go to nominal Christian work. 1% goes, um, but 87% of our missionaries, actually our personnel, actually um, are not, you know, not given to unreach or in other places. So our resources are still small as well. Um, in, especially in, yeah, no, especially in India, um, Pastor Mohan has an incredible vision to plant churches, especially to reach the unreached. But how is that actually played out? And a lot of times we have our, our pastors that have this, you know, in, a, in India, there's no such thing as boards. And that, so that offering plate is yours as a pastor. Wouldn't you love the offering being yours in America? And then they look over at uh, America and they see how we have these nice big churches and churches about the building and the programs. And so they start wanting to build these white buildings and programs. And then even when they go to other places within India, they're still only getting either their caste or finding people that are maybe from, let's say, if they're coming from South India, going to the north, and they're finding South India people and building those churches. And, and so we really want to come alongside and not saying that we know it all and we're right, but we're we're willing to pioneer and we want to give a model of pioneering that the national church can then follow um, because in India there are structures and traditions that are so steep and so strong um, that, that you kind of have to go in this mold. And so I think part of our advocacy is, is, not, is, is education mobile, and then doing and presenting that model for... Yeah. And we left out missions and the indig- indigenous missions principle <laughs> principles. So I think it's a yeah, I think there's a whole dialogue that needs to grow around that. How, how do we move from homogeneous missions principles to unreached people group principles? And sometimes it, uh, the the country is not ready for that. Like yeah. in Ukraine, they're not ready to reach a path. Mm-hmm. So we go and do it. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't want to that's 
And as Live Dead grows and we have these international teams, I think modeling ultimately, well, if you just create this model and show us that there is another way, so to speak, I think this next generation is going to pick that right up, coming up, and they're going to be like, yeah, okay, we're, we're going to do this. But until we actually model and show them, because I think it goes beyond discussion, we actually just have to like really show this can be done. So I know that's our heart on the Indian team. I can't speak, I don't know, honestly, Africa as much. And we need somebody from Africa who speak to that. And I know somewhat of what's going on in Cairo, but, um, but I know for, for India and where we're going, we come along the side of the church, not by throwing money and this and that, but we want to model and give an example and come alongside and then partner. We're going to create capacity for even the nationals to partner and to move in this area. And I think that we can see transformation because we're not going to transform India, but this next generation is going to. You know, 1.2 billion people in India, 70% are 35 years or younger. Uh, India is an incredibly young nation. And if we create the capacity and the model for these young people to follow, I believe that they'll go throughout and we could really see transformation in India. And I know our heart's desire, I can't wait, you know, that's on the hemisphere, but I can't wait for Indians then to go forth and they have the means to be able to go out even of, the, of India because mostly it's been missions in India. But they'll be able to go out and then reach Middle East, who knows, other places. So um, it will be really incredible um, what the Lord does. But I, but I think that, you know, that is a really, Valid, valid, valid point. Craig Corbin, again, has put a lot of this together, so we also thank him, too. I gave him credit in the beginning, and uh, obviously he was on there, so I, I do want to say that as well. Um, can we get the PowerPoint? Yeah, you can, most definitely. Um, and this specific one, there are some changes, so I'll email it to you, and then you can have it. So, um, and, I, and, you know, 
and I'll just close with this because we don't have time for all the discussion groups, but if you saw some of these questions, really be thinking about them because I think they're valid questions to be really um, thinking about and then how can we apply them. But, I mean, what can we do, what can we do in our churches? I mean, how can, what can we really make an impact now? And I think it's really important that you really do. Um, it does come down to the budget. It comes down to who are you really supporting. Um, on, on one hand, we have district projects. There are some great projects to get behind, but ultimately we need people. And we're going to reach unreached people groups because of people, not because of projects. They're the vehicles that people use. And so we need to be really strategic um, with really finding out who, who can we partner with and really walk on this lifelong call to really reach these hard-to-reach places um, and really come with a support and come with prayer. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times, 7,000 miles away, we would send out an email saying, we need prayer. And you could feel the presence of God from the top of your head to the soles of your feet because of these strategic partnerships with churches. And they're really praying and interceding and believing God with you. And there are some incredible situations and circumstances. Short-term trips, the reality is even to India, um, it, it, it's getting cheap enough to where you can bring people over to India and some of these places and be involved and hands-on, be involved. You know, when you're praying for a specific people group and you actually get to go to that country and meet them, oh man, your life will be just so wrecked. It really will be. And it will bring that, that advocacy and that passion back here in the States and among your congregation. And then finally, I can honestly say this, there is favor and blessing upon our lives because we said, God, we're available to you and we're going to go to those that your heart really breaks for. And one day I was, I was just driving and everything was just working out perfectly. I was upgraded to first class and I was like, thank you, Lord. And they gave me a nice car and all, my log- all the logistics that could go wrong went over and above. And the Holy Spirit said, this isn't for you but this is even the blessing that I want to pour out on my people as they have my heart. And then so that favor that God gives us, the connections, the souls, the resources, I believe in our churches as we target unreached, as we really get God's heart for unreached, we make it our priority. I don't think many churches will have some of the budget problems <laughs> and that missions giving will be down, but I really think it will be up as we really um, make this our prime focus and strategy is saying, all right, this is the heart of God for missions. So.